God chose a young woman named Mary to bear Emmanuel in part to begin the healing of the soul. And the greatest single thing you can do for the healing of your own soul simply is to come to Jesus right now, open your heart, hallelujah, and believe that he came to set you free and bring liberty and freedom that the world cannot offer and cannot do. Today's message from Harvest Church of God, Pastor Jerry Irwin speaks about the blessed consequences of God's grace in sending Jesus for every believer. Thank you, God, for the opportunity one more time to stand in this sacred place and declare your word. We know that your word is true. It is absolute truth. There is no error. There is no flaw in your word. And we thank you, God, for this opportunity that we have as a church to sit in your presence and to hear the word of the Lord. I ask you to touch me for that that I have learned in secret that I can reveal it openly, and that that I have studied and had with you an encounter. I pray that this congregation will have that encounter today around your word in the name of Jesus. And everybody said amen. Amen, amen and amen. Well, the music in the mall is about jingle bells and sleigh rides and about a white Christmas and about all of those special things uh, that are attached to the Christmas season. But for Christians, the music is more of a, a nature of a gospel narrative and tells a story about an advent, a birth of a Christ child. The one song that is so favorite to, to me is, O Come All Ye Faithful, the faithfulness of people to expect God to do what He says He will do. And that is that promise that was made to Israel many, many years ago that there would come a Savior, that there would come a, a promise, the promised one, Jesus is called, the promised one, the Holy One of Israel, Israel's rightful King of kings and Lord of lords. And for many years, there was a connection there with Jewish faith and expectancy that a Messiah, a Mashiach, a Mashach would come. And they fully expected in every generation for that Messiah to come to them. But years went by and uh, centuries went by. In fact, there were 400 years between the two testaments. With the last of Malachi to the first of Matthew, there is 400 years where there is no communication from God. There's no prophet that speaks. There's nothing that's delivered by any means to the people of Israel concerning God and the covenant. So there's just 400 years. It's called the intertestamental period in which there is no word from the Lord. Wouldn't it be so sad that if that was permanent? Wouldn't it be so sad if we were locked in a vacuum where there was no preaching of the word, there was no no voice of God that was heard in heart, mind, and soul. There was no kind of joy in His presence, no pleasure in uh, feeling His uh, nearness of His person. So all of those years went by until God, the Bible said, in the fullness of time. Galatians 4 says, in the fullness of time, God sent forth His Son, made of a woman, made under the law, that He might redeem all that those that were in bondage uh, during the law. Well, one great uh, song of a, a, a Methodist minister. You do know that, that Methodism and Pentecostalism are, 
are pretty close together. In fact, you might say that we are Wesleyan Pentecostals because we believe in a, a Wesleyan theology and a Wesleyan uh, belief about the stages of grace. Now, you won't probably hear a whole lot of, of it uh, nowadays, but Methodists were founded upon sanctification subsequent to cleansing. Methodists believe that there are, are many methods that you uh, get to know God and you learn to serve Him and you mature. There, one is Bible reading, one is meditation, one is prayer, one is hymn singing. And those were methods, and therefore the people at Oxford, those young ministers and uh, ministerial students at Oxford in uh, England, they met together and formed a, a club for Bible study and uh, they eventually came to be called Methodist because they believed in these methods that you could get near to God. Makes sense, doesn't it? They believed in sanctification as a second definite work of grace. They believed that there was an a, a instance in your life when you had an experience of sanctification, the dying out of self to the things of the world and a consecration of oneself to the Lord Jesus in maturity. One of the most prominent of, of Methodists was Charles and John Wesley, the Wesley brothers. And uh, they came to America and they founded churches. In fact, John Wesley rode what is called the circuit. Therefore, you have the term the circuit riders. They were preachers who rode their mule or rode their carriage or did what they could to go out and call upon people because people didn't have phones back then and they didn't have ways to communicate. So if you were going to see them, you had to go, go see them. Go see them. So there was what they called circuit riders and there were preachers that preached at different churches on their circuit. And uh, they go, would go around and start churches in these villages and small towns. And uh, they became Methodists, which became the early stages of what was called the holiness movement. And Pentecostalism was born out of what we call the holiness movement, which was started by the Methodists. And the healing movement was something that was part of that holiness movement. So you have all of this conglomeration, and when I said all that to say this, that many of the songs and the hymns that we sing came from uh, the Wesleys. One that is so permanent and so prominent is, Come Thou Long Expected Jesus. It's very similar to the one, Oh, come to us, oh, come to Emmanuel, oh, come to us, Emmanuel, is the thing. And this one hymn, this carol, uh, the Advent appeared in the hymnal that they all sing from. It says, Come thou long expected Jesus, born to set thy people free. From our fears and sins release us. Let us find our rest in thee. Israel's strength and consolation, hope of all the earth thou art, dear desire of every nation, joy of every longing heart. Born thy neighbor, thy people to deliver. Born a child and yet a king. Born to reign in us forever, now thy gracious kingdom bring. By thine own eternal spirit, rule in all our hearts alone. By thine all-sufficient merit, raise us to thy glorious throne. Boy, those are good words, aren't they? Boy, that's good stuff. I wish we had stuff like that to sing now, don't you? Boy, that sounds good. For Christians, hymn singing is part of our, our DNA. That, that song written by Charles Wesley helps us uh, to understand about the purpose of the Advent because 
You, you can't view Christmas and the Advent without it having a Jewish connection because it's all a part of what God covenanted with Abraham many years ago, a millennia ago, when God said, Surely blessing I will bless thee, and multiplying I will multiply thee. I will multiply your seed as the stars of the heaven and the sands of the sea, and in thee shall all of the nations of the earth be blessed. That blessing of all the nations of the earth was a plan of restoration and redemption that the Lord promised that he would send to the patriarchs. He told them there will be a, a time when I will fix this sin issue. See, something happened in the garden, and uh, we all know about the fall. It's just simply called the fall. It was the original sin, the initial sin, that separated us from our God. It drove us out of the garden. We couldn't dwell in his presence because sin cannot dwell in his presence. So we were, we were alienated. We were ostracized. We were driven out. In fact, the Bible said, God said to them, he said, by the sweat of your brow and the strength of your back, you will earn your bread. In other words, it won't be given to you anymore. You've got to earn it now. And he told Eve, he said, because of this sin, he said, you will have pain and you will have uh, terrible emotion and very problems in childbearing. He said, you'll have, have a tough time in, uh, in, in childbearing. And uh, the Bible said that Eve experienced that. But God said to her something else in 3.15 of Genesis, and it's called the Proto-Evangelium. That means it's the first mention of redemption and Jesus in the whole Bible. And it's found in Genesis 3 and 15, and it says that the serpent would bruise the heel of the woman, but that the seed of the woman would bruise the head of the serpent. And there we have a very unfamiliar and a very rare statement of words saying the seed of the woman. We all know that the, the, in every instance physically and biologically it's the seed of the man that is planted in the womb of the woman that brings forth the child. But in this instance, and it's an indication of the virgin birth of the Lord Jesus, when it says that man was not involved in any way with the conception of the Lord Jesus. It, she, the Bible said she was conceived of the Holy Ghost, that the Spirit of the Most High overshadowed her, and she was found to be with child. Praise God. All of that was announced to her by an angel whose name was Gabriel, that appeared to her and told her, said, you are blessed among women. You're highly favored among women. Blessed among women. Now, some take that a little step too far as if to make Mary a co-redeemer. And that's not the intent whatsoever. It is simply to say that she had found favor in the eyes of God, that God had selected her to be the mother, the earthly mother of the Lord Jesus Christ. How about that? And the Bible said she was so excited about it. And we read in, in, in Luke's Gospel, chapter 1, if you want to turn there and read with me some, in Isaiah 14, 26, he says, This is the purpose that is purpose concerning the whole earth. And this is the hand that is stretched out over all the nations. For the Lord of hosts has purposed, and who will annul it? His hand is stretched out, and who will turn it back? 
What are you saying, Pastor? I'm saying that when it came to the fullness of time, God's purpose was initiated and that no force, no power, no person, no law could stop the stretched out hand of Almighty God. What does that tell me now? It tells me now that even in the midst of all of this anxiety and all of this, this uh, guesswork that's going on right now, it's comforting to Christians to know that God's hand is still mighty to save and that God's purpose will not be thwarted. There is no power. There is no energy. There is no law. There is no legislature. There is no king. The Bible said that can annul it or that can turn it back. If God says it and God means it, then it will happen as God wills and God purposes. Hallelujah. And he who says that his purpose will not be thwarted and his hand will not be shortened, praise God, has said to us, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Call upon me in the day of trouble, and I will deliver thee, and thou shalt glorify me. That same God whose purpose will never, ever be be thwarted or ever be stopped. He has said to us, the zeal of the Lord will perform it. Praise God, our hand is in the hand of a God who has said to us, my promises to you are yea and amen. Amen. And when he said a child will be born and when he said uh, there will be a king given, hey, he meant exactly that. And when he purposed that, there is nothing Herod nor the Roman Empire could do to stop the birth of the Lord Jesus. Yes, it took place in a, a very humble way. It wasn't with fanfare, it wasn't with triumph, and it wasn't with a lot of, lot of ceremonial uh, ado. It was by, by the working of the hand of God amongst very humble people to bring about the birth of the Lord Jesus. You see, when the Bible tells us that when Jacob gathered all of his sons around him before he died. He went tribe by tribe and told them what their future would be like. And when he came to Judah in Genesis chapter 49, verse 10, he says, Judah, he said, you will be the one through which the prince will come. You will be the one. And said, the scepter shall not be removed from between your feet until Shiloh come. Praise God. Who is Shiloh? Praise God. That's the Lord Jesus. Praise God. That's the, that's the only begotten Son of God. And what Jacob was saying to his son and to his entire tribe, out of Judah shall the Lord come. Praise God. You know what Judah means? Praise. Praise. You mean that Jesus is born in praise? Yes, sir. He inhabits the praises of his people. So it's right thinking that in the tribe of Judah, the Lord would come and that the Lord would fulfill his promise in Luke 1, 39. And Mary arose in those days and went into the hill country with haste, bring you up to speed. She's already had the, the, the conversation at the well with the angel. She's already sung the Magnificat, which is the song that she sings, My soul doth magnify the Lord, and my spirit doth rejoice in God my Savior. She'd already had that experience, and she'd found out and been told by the angel that her first cousin, Elizabeth, was with child. Now, Elizabeth was what that culture called barren. She didn't have a, a child, and she was in her old age. She had a husband whose name was Zacharias. Zacharias. 
And the angel appeared to Zacharias and said to, to him, said, your wife is with child. And said, you guys are going to have a baby. She's never had one, but she's going to have one. And said, he will be the forerunner. He'll be great. And he's the forerunner of the anointed one. He's going to preach and he's going to turn many people to righteousness. And this happened while Zacharias was serving as a priest in the, in the temple. You see, from time to time, different ones were selected to come and do the priestly duties under the high priest that was in the, in the priest, in the, in the temple. And he was about doing that when he had this encounter. And uh, he said, how in the world can this be? In other words, he was saying, I'm old. She's old. We're not having babies. And the angel said, because you don't believe, said you're not going to speak another word till after the child is born. And brother, suddenly he was struck dumb and couldn't speak. Well, Mary, after she had her great experience, she went to the house of a dumb Zacharias and a shouting, joyous, happy as she could be, Elizabeth. And the Bible said when she got there, and Mary arose in those days and went into the hill country, and uh, that's estimated to be some about 50 or 60 miles, into the hill country with haste. In other words, she was in a hurry. She must have been excited about it. Into a city of Judah, and she entered into the house of Zacharias and saluted Elizabeth. And it came to pass that when Elizabeth heard the salutation of Mary, the babe leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Ghost. That usually happens when Jesus comes into a home. When Jesus comes into a life, that's what usually happens. There's rejoicing, there's praise, there's excitement, there's Worship, there's all kinds of, of emotion, of thanksgiving, and usually an accompaniment of the Holy Spirit will come along with that praise and that joy and that excitement. And she spoke out with a loud voice, and she began to sing a song. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb. And whence is this to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For lo, as soon as the voice of thy salutation sounded in mine ears, the babe leaped in my womb for joy. That usually happens in a home when Jesus comes in. And blessed is she that believed, for there shall be a performance of those things which were told her from the Lord. What was Elizabeth doing? She was reinforcing what the angel had said to her. She commended her for her faith, and then she said, And blessed is she that believed, and blessed is she that believed, for there shall be a performance. God will do what he says he will do. That needs to be the testimony of every Christian in this room, that if God says it, he will do what he says he will do. He will perform what God says he will do. And Mary said, My soul doth magnify the Lord, and my spirit hath rejoiced in Christ my Savior. Elizabeth then broke out in that joyful exclamation. I, I'll guarantee you Zechariah would love to have joined in, but he couldn't. He would love to have sung that song with them. He would have loved to have rejoiced with them and praised God with them, 
but his failure to believe kind of caused him to keep his mouth shut, and he couldn't rejoice. I wonder how many people hold their praise and aren't able to speak their praise because they failed to believe. I wonder how many of us in this house would say there have been times in my life when I should have been praising, but I was sitting somewhere doubting. I wonder how many could say there have been times in my life that I should have been on my feet clapping my hands and saying glory to God when I was sitting on the couch saying, woe is me. There have been so many times that I should have believed God and I didn't and it cost me my praise. Come on, somebody. How many times have we known that God was going to do something, but because he didn't do it in our time frame and didn't believe that God said, well, let's just keep your praise quiet that if you don't have anything to praise God for it, hey, I don't want to be like that, do you? No, I want to believe if God says something is for you, that you reach out by faith and take hold of it. I want to be a part of that element that says, I believe God, don't you? Amen. And I want to tell you there are great and exceeding promises that are given to people of God. We've got wonderful promises, the Bible tells us, and not one of them shall fail. If God's Word promises it, He will do it for us. When she heard that her relative Mary was carrying the Messiah, she said, Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb. To be sure, this one verse has been used by many to deify Mary, but this was not the intent of the angel nor of God to deify Mary. But the Bible tells us in, that Mary was just simply the instrument through which God's will was done. As anybody in this house, I believe that she, they sing tonight, if you could use, or this morning, that if you could use anything, you can use me. Does God use people? Has God ever used you? Have you ever been a vehicle through which God performed His will and His purpose? Have you ever been a conveyor of good news that God wanted to send to somebody? Have you ever been an encourager that God wanted to encourage somebody? Have you ever been the vehicle that God chose to use? This is part of Mary's whole attitude. Who am I that I should be favored and blessed and used of God in such a way. Every time God uses you, you ought to say, praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Every time God does something through you, every time God uses your, your, your life, your testimony, your witness, your relationship, your experience with Him to touch somebody and convey some spiritual truth to someone, that ought to just thrill you beyond measure, that you would say, thank God for using me. Is there anybody here that your prayer is to be used of God? Do you ever pray that prayer that we sang this morning, God, you can use me? Can you think just for a minute here of an instant in your life when God used you? Well, Brother Jerry, I can't think of a single time. Well, buddy, have I got news for you. There's a place you can get to in God. If you haven't got there yet, there's a place you can get there. Amen? There's a place you can get to that God can use you. But it requires that you submit and become willing. Carlos told me about the first time he went up to the jail service with Randall. He said, Brother Jerry, I didn't know what to expect. 
Said, I didn't know how I was going to handle that. Said, I, I'd never been around jail much. Didn't know anything about what went on there, how you go about it. But he said, when I got in there and said, I got the Word of God, and I started telling people what the Word of God says, he said, I got comfortable pretty soon. Got comfortable pretty soon. Comfortable in a, in a jail talking to prisoners? You got comfortable? Hey, when you are used of God, when God wants to use you and you become a vessel, you make yourself available to God and say, God, I want you to use me. Now, don't be offended when he uses you. And don't be offended because it's not something that you'd get a lot of credit for. He may use you to do something that you're not going to get a certificate. You won't get a trophy. They won't make a plaque and give it to you. They won't name you Christian of the Year. It may not be on the who's who among Christians. You might have a sacrifice there to pay. But if God says that he wants to use you and you say, God, then use me. And it may not be published. It may not be something that is ceremonially celebrated. But God says, everything you do in my name, I will take note of it. I'll keep a record of it. And when it really matters, I'll see to it that you're rewarded. In fact, the Bible tells us that what you do in humility and what you do in subjection to God, though it be small, God said He will exalt you in due time. The Bible says, submit yourself under the mighty hand of God and in due season. In due season, He will lift you up. Praise God. Do you have that kind of relationship with God that you can say to God, God, do with me whatever you please. Do with me. Move through me. Move in me. Use me, O oh God, in whatever way you want to use me. That's what Mary was saying right here. I, uh, how am I blessed so of God that he would use me to bring forth his son into this world? Boy, that's a, that's a great thing, isn't it? The Lord, actually, something bad happened in the garden when, when Eve partook of the fruit and went back and no, Adam should have been man enough to stand up and say, no, 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 that's wrong. We're not going to do wrong, but he didn't. You might as well say amen. He didn't. And then when God said that the woman would have trouble and pain and childbearing, and some, some say that that was a, a, a tough thing for women, but look what God turned that, that around to, and he said, but I'm going to use a woman to bring forth my son, made of a woman, the Bible said, made under the law that he might redeem all those who all of their lifetime were in bondage to the law. Wow. That what God did as part of punishment for the sin, that he reversed that and made a blessing out of it. And he said, but I'm going to use you, and I'm going to use you in such a way that your willingness to be used by God it's going to bring about your participation in redemption. Wow. Boy, isn't that fantastic that what came out of the garden as a curse was turned into a blessing at the advent and when she became the mother, the earthly mother of the Lord Jesus. You know, there are places in the world when women or women are grossly mistreated. There are places in the world 
there are cultures that women are viewed as no more than just a piece of property. There are instances and there are horrible, horrific means that women are subjected to awful treatment all over the world. But I want to tell you something, ladies, if there's a woman in this house that has ever been ill-treated or abused or hurt in some way, I want to tell you that God had nothing to do with that abusing and God had nothing to do with that horrific things that have happened to you. And I want to tell you there's a God who loves you and a God who cares about you and so much that he chose a woman to be the mother of the Lord Jesus and chose a woman and lifted her up and magnified her as if God was saying to her, what the devil did to knock you down, I'm going to do to pick you up. Amen. Praise God. Amen. And what a blessing that is for women to know that he will bring about a, a time of blessing for women. In verse 15, I got that word of hope for a woman. In verse 16 of Genesis 3, we're given the reasons for that hope, that women in her fallen state would endure sorrow, pain, and oppression. We don't have the time to go into all of that, that I'd like to preach about it, but just suffice it to say this, that God recapitulated what women lost in the garden, she regained at the advent of the Lord Jesus. That what she was cursed with, God relieved her from the curse of that and gave her the wonderful blessing of being used by God. If you're a woman here today and you've struggled with oppression, I've come to believe that whenever I speak to a group, I know that there are people that are there that have been oppressed and women that have and men that have been mistreated. But I want to point you to a loving Heavenly Father that you're His daughter and you're His child. And He loves you, He cares about you, and He doesn't condone mistreatment of anybody. He is a loving God. He's a just God. God chose a young woman named Mary to bear Emmanuel in part to begin the healing of the soul. And the greatest single thing you can do for the healing of your own soul simply is to come to Jesus right now, open your heart, hallelujah, and believe that he came to set you free and bring liberty and freedom that the world cannot offer and cannot do. The second consequence of coming to Christ is there's a blessing on humble servants. Mary, the Bible said, to being humbled by Mary's presence. When Elizabeth said, I'm so thankful today just to be in the presence of the one who is carrying my Lord. I'm so humbled today. Humility is definitely something that is a part of this story. And when she was singing her song, she was very humbled by the fact that Mary had come to her house that day. She is neither Mary is neither a co-redeemer with Christ, or she is not a queen of heaven. She's just another woman, another woman just like you're a woman, and she was used of God. Humble Elizabeth was blessed that such news of the Messiah would come to her. Isn't that something? What did Mary bring to the house of Elizabeth and Zacharias? She brought Jesus. She brought Jesus to the house. Hallelujah. There's nothing greater that can happen for you than someone to bring Jesus to your house. 
Would you be blessed today if some celebrity would come and knock on your door and come to your house? Maybe they drove up in a limousine and had an entourage. Maybe they had, had a band there to play at your front door and you were, you were the one that was chosen and picked out by this celebrity to come to your house. Wouldn't that be a, a, a good thing? But wouldn't it be greater for you to realize that when somebody brought Jesus to your house? Do you remember the night that somebody brought Jesus to your house? <laughs> it might have been a little old frame church building somewhere. It might have been a place where somebody rented. Or it might have been somebody going door to door. That they came to your house and brought Jesus. And you recognized that they had brought Jesus. And while they were there telling you about Jesus, you accepted the Lord Jesus in your heart and life. Aren't you glad somebody brought Jesus to your house? You see in Isaiah 29 and 19, once more the humble will rejoice in the Lord. The needy will rejoice in the Holy One of Israel. The psalmist wrote in Psalm 18, 27, You save the humble, but you bring low those whose eyes are haughty. Jesus told a, a story one time about two men who went up to the temple to pray. It's in Luke 18, if you have your Bibles and you'd like to read about it sometime. It's about a, a, a rich person that comes who was a priest in the temple. And he smote himself upon the breast and he said, God, I thank you that I am who I am. I thank you that I have wealth and I have prosperity and I, I tithe and I fast and I come here to the temple and I bring sacrifices that are so much greater than others. And while I'm talking about others, I'm glad that I'm not like that guy over there. He's a publican. He's a tax collector. Everybody hates him. Everybody despises him. He sits down the, at the booth and collects taxes from us. He's a traitor. He's a betrayer. He's a sorry low-down somebody. But I thank you I'm not a sorry somebody like him. And then the Bible said that that poor publican smote himself upon the breast and he said, Lord, have mercy upon me, a sinner. And Jesus said, that publican went down to his house more justified than the Pharisee. Woo. So if Jesus is picking out church members, he's not looking for bank accounts, and he's not looking for titles and positions and authority and prestige and fame. What is Jesus looking for in somebody to go home with? Somebody who is humble enough to say, Lord, I need you. Lord, I need you. By myself, I can't make it. By myself, I'm not complete. I can never be complete until I find you. You see, God sent Mary to her. God sent John the Baptist to her. God sent his son to the lost sheep of Israel. God sent the elect sheep of Israel to Europe and to Macedonia and to Asia to spread this gospel. Everybody that preaches this message is one that is sent from God. God has sent his message of salvation to this whole world. 
And the Bible said, how beautiful are those that preach the gospel, the feet of those that preach the gospel, who bring good news. I want to tell you, God still got some people. It may not look like it sometimes, but I want to tell you, God has still got some people. Third consequences of his coming was a blessing that defines a family. In verse 44, Elizabeth sang forth the truth that as soon as Mary announced the good news, the unborn John the Baptist leapt in her womb. The good news of the Messiah shaped the household of Elizabeth and Zacharias and their little boy. One heard and rejoiced, and the Holy Spirit came upon the other. Here is the glorious consequence of Jesus coming to your house. Every member of the family is impacted by the announcement of the Lord's salvation. I thank God that in His providence, when you believe that whole families, I love it when whole families come to the Lord Jesus. I love it. Doc, one morning in Mobile, Alabama, I was preaching a gospel message, and I finished that message, and a family got up from where they were sitting and walked forward. His name was Lomax Gorham. How about that? Beautiful wife and two children, and they walked right down the aisle, and I said, what do you need God to do for you? They said, we want to join the church. We need to get saved, and we need to get, get in a church. What? So I prayed the prayer that I pray with all people who need to find Jesus. And they prayed the prayer, Dear Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Forgive me of all of my sin. Wash me in your blood. I accept you in my heart. I will serve you. I will live for you. You will be the Lord of my life. I will be your son. I'll be your daughter. We will love you and serve you. Wow. I baptized them, took them in the church. They never missed another service the whole time I pastored that church. They were the most faithful members. You couldn't ask for anybody to be any better, any more supportive. Loved the pastor. I mean, it was just, and that all, Randy, just happened so commonly. Not a lot of fanfare. Not a lot of, just got up, walked up, joined the church, and from that day on was committed. You know what I've decided about those kind of spiritual matters? Commitment, decision, faithful. Brother, I think those folks had made up their mind that they needed something. I think those folks had reached a place in their life that their family needed something. I believe they'd reached a place that they said, only Jesus can satisfy our soul. They reached a place where they were willing to say to God, not my will, but thine be done. And whatever I need to do, Lord, I'm willing to do that. I'm going to do it, and I'm going to do it today. And I'm going to get started today, this day, not another day, this day. Not another time, this time. Not another place, this place. Right now, on this place, at this time, I'm going to commit my life to the Lord Jesus. And brother, when you make a decision like that with commitment, I don't think any one of them shed a tear. It wasn't loud. 
Like we, we like it to be loud. Oh, glory to God. Yeah, praise God. Come on in here, brother. It wasn't loud. We expect a whole lot of <laughs> no crying. What happened, Pastor? A made-up mind. A made-up mind. This is what I'm going to do. This is who I'm going to be. Come on, somebody. And when you make up your mind once and for all, and you sell out, you sell out, you take it all, your livelihood, your family, everything, put it on the altar and say to Jesus, all to thee I now resign. Take my hands, Lord, and my feet. Take my life. Lord, speak through me. I want to be a vessel. I want to be a person that you can work through. I want you to use me. Is that the prayer of everybody in this house? Wouldn't it be something if we had dads and moms like Lomax and Carol Gorham that would just make up your mind? You know what? I did an all-night prayer meeting one, one night at, at that church. Long about 10 o'clock, most of them got up, went on home, went to bed. 12 o'clock, some more got up, went home, went to bed. 1 o'clock, some more of them, Randy, got up, went on to bed. Sam, 3 o'clock, some more of them got up and went to bed. When the sun came up the next morning, there was one person who was with me and stayed all night with me in prayer. Do you know who that one person was? It was Lomax Gorham. Well, my Lord, I thought it'd be the shouters, those hollerers, those aisle runners. You mean a fellow that's quiet? Still waters run deep. I said, still waters run deep. It's not always that one that's the loudest. It's not always that one that is the fastest. It's not that one always that is so boisterous. Sometimes there's someone whose commitment is so deep that it's a solemn thing with them. They just solemnly keep their word to God. They solemnly show up when they're supposed to show up. They solemnly do what they're supposed to do. They solemnly do it at the time they're supposed to do it. They're dependable. They're faithful. They're dedicated. Praise God. Don't get me wrong. I love the shouters. But boy, I like to see those people that are so committed that when Jesus comes to their house, it's a once and for all commitment and they never waver. Wow, that baby leaped for joy. When Jesus comes into a home, he brings joy. When families yield to the Savior and embrace and follow him as Lord of their life, then Christ sends rivers of joy flowing through their families. I've gone to houses before as a pastor, and I've gone in, and I saw pretty few furniture and a good meal on the table, and we all went and ate. But I walked out of there saying, I wonder where the joy was. Where was the joy? Come on, somebody. I've had people, could I have a word with you? I'd like to talk to you and sit down, and the whole conversation is, all about this one said that, and that one did that. And you ask yourself, well, where's the joy? 
Have you lost your joy? The one thing you need this Christmas more than anything else is you need the joy of the Lord. You know why? Because the joy of the Lord is our strength. There is Christmas and there's strength that can come your way that whatever's going on around and you feel weak and drained, hey, there's a joy. And that joy, the Bible said, is our strength. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. The joy of the Lord when Jesus comes to your house. What Elizabeth brought that day, what Mary brought that day to Elizabeth's house was joy. Joy. And you know what? That angel that appeared to Zacharias, you can stand if you want to. Yeah, we're going to go home. Stand. That's really true. Get up. When that angel said, when that baby is born, said, name him John. Well, Zacharias was dumb. He couldn't say anything. And the Bible said when the baby was born, and they were all jumping around Jeff, and they were so excited, and they were laughing and having such a big time because the baby was born. And somebody said, Jason said, what are we going to name him? And somebody said, why don't we just name him Zechariah Jr.? Let's just name him after his daddy. And the Bible said that Zechariah got a slate, took a piece of chalk, and it wrote on it, his name is John. And the Bible said it immediately, his tongue was loosed. Brother, when he did what God said, and when he obeyed the Lord, he found freedom. I remember last year, I, went, I was in a department store, and uh, I noticed the guy was over in the place there where the consumer help and everything, and, and he was working on these things we call lights. And I looked over there, I said, what's he doing? She said, Oh, we just hired him. I said, well, what does he do? She said, he's the entangler. He is the untangler. I said, what? He said, she said, we, when we take down these things here at the end of Christmas, we pile them in a box and we don't wrap them back up. And said, it takes somebody, we have to hire somebody to untangle them so we can put them back up again. I want to tell you, there's an untangler, and his name is Jesus. And when you make a miserable mess, he can untangle your mess, and he can get it back in a way that you can work with it again. Let Jesus untangle your messes this Christmas. He's a great untangler. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Her King, let every heart prepare Him room. And heaven and nature sing, and heaven and nature sing, and heaven and heaven and nature sing.
sing. He rules the world. He rules the world with truth and grace and makes the nations prove the glories of his righteousness and wonders of his love and wonders of his love and wonders and wonders of his love. Thank you, Father, for letting us be in your house today. Thank you that even in a pandemic that your church has gathered in your house to sing, Blessed be the name of the Lord. We praise you. We worship you this holiday season. We thank you that you spoke to a virgin many years ago and said to her, the favor of God is upon her and that she would give birth to a son and call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. I ask you, God, to go with us and give us an enjoyable time this holiday season. Keep us safe from harm and danger. And, Lord, this whole holiday season, may we be untangled by the Lord of Christmas. In Jesus' name, amen.